Todd was our youth pastor here at Parkview and led uh, many teams uh, almost every other year to the Ukraine. So uh, now he works full-time with FCA Ukraine, and uh, it's really great to hear this word from them. It's been a tough week, hasn't it? Uh, Pat Collins wanted me to remind you and maybe inform you that uh, for those of you who are interested in being of assistance to people who are going through this uh, very terrible experience, that Samaritan's Purse is currently in Poland and they are working hard to receive the refugees from the Ukraine who are fleeing in front of the uh, military action there. So uh, you could either talk to Pat or I'm sure go online and check out Samaritan's Purse if you would like to contribute and be of uh, real assistance in this time of crisis for them. That's great. All right. Well, let's just have a word of prayer as we dive into God's word today. Yes, I hear it. Junior high. Thank you, Mike. Junior high goes to 103. Excellent. Good deal. So let's have a word of prayer as we uh, get into this this morning. Father, we thank you for just the faithful witness, the work, the, the prayers, uh, the efforts that are being made right now to sustain our brothers and sisters in Christ in the Ukraine. Uh, Lord, it's been a very difficult week to watch some of the things going on. We pray, Lord, that your sovereign hand will be on the church there, on your people, be with the pastors and the uh, people that just work tirelessly for your kingdom. Lord, we pray for their protection, their sustenance, uh, their endurance. Um, Father, now as we open your word and we look into the book of Acts, we pray that you would help our minds to be sharp to have your Holy Spirit speak to us and have our hearts receptive to that. Uh, I pray the Father you would help me to be cleared this morning and we ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So let's start off this morning by asking a couple of questions uh, as we get prepared to read our passage in Acts chapter 2 starting in verse 42. Uh, the first question I'd like to ask you is what has been the best part of attending church uh, for you so far in your life. I mean, we, we have drummed up, I have been guilty of preaching often about the shortcomings of church. Uh, we, it doesn't take a lot of effort today to watch the news, read articles, uh, just get a feel for what's happening in the contemporary church scene to realize there are a lot of problems with the church. Uh, we hear all the time about people leaving the church. Uh, we've given them names like the nuns and the duns. Uh, some have no church affiliation and others have been in church all their life and they've decided, well, I'm just done. Uh, the drama is too much. I can't handle it anymore. And they walk away from the church. Well, all of that is confessed, is acknowledged. Uh, we realize that that can be your experience. Most of us, if you've been in church for any period of time, can relate at least one story in which you've been hurt by something that has happened at a church, either by its people, by its leadership, by the denomination. Uh, something has happened, and it takes great perseverance and sometimes endurance to uh, sustain a lifetime of church experience. But this morning, I want to steer away from that. I'm not trying to gloss over it, but I would like you to just think for a second, what's the best part of attending a church? What's been your best part of a church experience for you? What makes it worth it every Sunday morning to get up 
uh, get the family prepared, dress up, uh, as my grandma would say, gussied up, and get ready and to get into that car, and uh, especially in the middle of the winter, and arrive here. And some of us have gotten, you know, we have to acknowledge this. It doesn't take a lot of effort. All we have to do is go and turn on our computer, and we can watch church. What makes it worth it? You know, the music, the preaching, the fellowship with the people. There's a lot of ways that you could answer that. If someone was to ask me that question, I think as I thought about it, I would have to give uh, possibly a couple of different uh, scenarios of what makes church so good for me. I, I just think back to when I first came to a church. I'd been invited by our neighbors to come to a small neighborhood church in the city of Omaha. I uh, didn't have a lot of church experience, almost none. I didn't know what to expect. But when my brother and I walked in there and the people began to sing, it was so different from anything we had ever experienced before. We had been a couple of times to a big downtown cathedral-like church uh, in Omaha that some other people had taken us to, but we were really too young to understand what was going on. All we knew is it was boring. It, it was not anything that, you know, related to our lives. But this church, we went in and, uh, in high school, and we noticed the first thing that hit us is that when people sang the songs, they were into it. I mean, they were just bellowing out with voices, and they were enjoying it, and we could tell that this wasn't just something they had to do. They loved to sing. We could see tears sometimes glistening on their cheeks, and we just didn't understand it. In fact, uh, as we went home and told my mom what we had seen, and she came up to visit. And uh, the three of us sat in church, and afterwards, I remember we laughed like, those people are crazy. <laughs> They're out there singing away. I mean, what's the deal? I mean, who understands these words in the first place? But they loved it, and little by little, we caught on to what was going on. Also, we uh, had the experience of listening to a pastor. I'd never really listened to a sermon before. Um, if you've been in church all your life, it's probably a little uh, difficult to remember what that's like the first time you hear someone stand up and preach. Well, this man wasn't yelling or screaming. Uh, he wasn't a Hollywood caricature of a pastor. He was just simply explaining this Bible so that we could understand it. He made it clear. And little by little, we began to listen. We began to gain a basic knowledge of what God wanted for us. Church. I, I still have fond remembrances of those early experiences, but they were early experiences. They, they were great. Well, so for you, what's the best part? I remember going to a youth group that associated with that church. Uh, again, the same neighbor invited me to come along. Um, we hadn't really talked much as uh, young men for quite a while, but he had had an experience, a spiritual experience, and he wanted me to come, or maybe better said, he was uh, convicted, he was made to feel guilty if he didn't go out and invite people that he knew. So I was invited to come along. But uh, what I remember was going into this home where the youth group was meeting, and the people made me feel instantly loved. I, I had not experienced anything like that before. I didn't have to be protecting myself. Uh, there was no one who was being aggressive towards me. I didn't have to give a rationale for why I was there. 
they were happy to see me. It was like they were going to have a party because I had shown up. And what I would learn later is that they did that for everybody that came. They were a great welcoming group of people. What a life-changing experience. So when's your best experience in church? Second question. What is your favorite part about Parkview? What makes this your church? Why are you excited about being here? Uh, some of you have been coming for years, for decades. Others of you are relatively new to the church experience. Some of you shop churches like you shop grocery stores. You're not really sure why you're here. You're just here. But for those of us who have settled that this is our church, what drags you back here week after week after week? Music? The uniqueness of the service? You know, Mark Misnick leading us in confession? I, I, certainly, you know, is it me? But what is it? What is it? Is it you? Is it the fellowship? It's a good thing to think about. This morning, we're going to read about one church experience in particular. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And if you'd like to, I would really encourage you to open your Bibles, turn on your phones, and read along with me. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, it's tempting to read this passage and think, Wow, what a church. That's the church I want to attend. Where in Iowa City, where in North Liberty, where in Solon can I go and find a church just like this one? Uh, this must have been what the first century church was truly like. I've heard people actually teach uh, lessons on that or preach sermons. Wow, this is the way it should be. Luke is writing something that is supposed to be an ideal uh, anything that doesn't quite match up to this shows a church that is either uh, in need of repair or is in decline. But that's really not the case. Where does this description of church land in the book of Acts? As we're walking through week by week, we're going to be traveling through this historical book that Luke wrote, and we're going to get all the way to the end. But for now, we're merely in chapter 2. That should be an indicator of how we should understand this passage. Uh, far be it from being the best example of church, it's merely a historical description of what the believers were doing in the city of Jerusalem not long after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ and the preaching of Peter on the temple stairs in which many people came to understand Christ. These are Jews. The church hadn't gone out to the Gentiles yet. These were Jews who had gathered to hear, to listen to Christ, first of all, then his apostles. And this is just their experience. 
We don't want to be caught up into thinking, wow, this is, this is the way it's supposed to be. Well, that would be silly. That would be like someone taking a video of, let's say, our first week of marriage. Iona guy got married back in uh, 82, and someone, unfortunately, had a video camera back in those days, and they took a video of it. And you were to watch it as a third party, and you would say, wow, that's marriage. That's excellent. That's what I want in my life. And boy, if my marriage isn't adding up to that one, then I'm getting gypped. There's something wrong. So we're going to work as hard as we can to imitate what we've seen. That's crazy. I hear people say those kind of things. I do a lot of premarital counseling. I even do the marriage counseling. And people say, wow, it was so good at the beginning. It was so wonderful. Well, I'm glad. I hope it is. There's something about that first week of marriage, right? Where it's innocent and it's fun and it's new. Uh, for my wife and I, it involved moving from Omaha to Dallas, Texas to go to seminary. You know, our honeymoon was very truncated. Uh, we went to the expense of going to Lake Okoboji for our honeymoon. You know, a great, great time. But it was just that. It was one week of our life. Nothing more. The truth is, if you find yourself married this morning, we shouldn't be thinking back to the past. The best week of my marriage? Well, I want it to be the last week that I'm alive. My marriage should get better and better and better. My wife and I will have been married 40 years this June. I can't tell you how much my love for her has increased how much joy we've had in the shared experience of living life. Oh, man. Scars, battle wounds. There's no two more volatile people than I own and I. We fight. We, we, we yell, you know. Uh, I look back on those days. Yesterday? No, but I look back <laughs> on those days. And it's, it's amazing, you know, that we're still together. It is. Uh, I think of the times I've had to ask forgiveness. The times that I've been forgiven. I think of the struggles we've had, uh, which probably pale in comparison to some of them that you've had. You know, not being able to have children for eight years. Uh, I didn't understand what was going on with my own. I, I didn't get it as a husband. Struggles through grad school, being so poor, at times, when our little girls, you know, we had three little girls, and we lived in a very small house, cinder block walls in the basement that we put together this bedroom for a girl. It, it wasn't terrible. We look back on it now, it's like, wow. Did God use that experience to make us into what we are today? All those things that you can think of. If you've been married for any length of time, you've got, you've got scars. You, you, you've got wounds, emotional, physical that you can remember, that have gotten you to this place. My failings as a husband, as a person, all have built into who we are today. I don't want to start over again with anyone else. Uh, I, I, I want it to be that, just as Howard Hendricks, my professor, said, that they write on my tombstone, Dave was not the greatest pastor, but Dave was the greatest father, and husband 
that he could be. Then I've lived a life. I've achieved uh, one of the major goals that I think God has given. That's awesome. But you're never going to be able to capture that in a snapshot. You're never going to be able to fully appreciate that from watching a video. When we get to this section of the book of Acts, that's what we're seeing. This is the early church. This is not the best church. This is not to be idealized, uh, revered, imitated. This is just saying this is what has happened and is happening at this point. The church gets better. It does. It gets better for the next 2,000 years. Not all church experiences are alike, are they? I've been to, I don't know, how many different churches. I've been to church in Omaha, church in Dallas, Texas. I've been to church all over this country. And some of them have been fantastic. Some of them are just, frankly, boring. Some of them have been heretical. Some of them have just been different. I've got a brother-in-law who is an Orthodox priest in the Antiochian Orthodox Church. They never sit in their service. It's an hour and a half of standing and incense and repeated prayers and veneration of icons and so forth. It's different. You can have all kinds of experiences in a church. They're not all the same, but then there are those times where you walk in and you meet God and you can feel in your heart this has been an amazing time. Oh, we'd like to see it repeated over and over and over and again. Now, the music was especially good this morning. Uh, we kind of rate it, don't we, as we leave. Yeah, it was fantastic. You know, Will was really on his game. Dev was just belting out those tones with her dulcet voice. But the preaching was great, but you can only say that on the days that I preach. <laughs> you know, it's just whatever you're doing. And, and you, what you can't do, though, is repeat it. It doesn't happen that way, does it? As much as you would like to see it happen over and over again at those best Sundays, those great experiences, it doesn't work that way. It just doesn't. And there are times when we, we weep, we cry, we, we get angry, and we think, oh, did you hear what she said to me? Did you see what he did? Those, those elders, those deacons, the women's ministry, or whatever it is, you know, the, the high school ministry isn't doing what it's supposed to do, the children's ministry really, you know, could do better, whatever. We can think of a hundred things to be critical of. But when we read this section, what we get is hope. We get hope. And we think, wow, this is how the church was when it started. I'd like to see us do at least this much. Now, that would be a legitimate request. This shouldn't be the only place that we get to, but we could at least get this much. This is the beginning church. Well, how did they get there? Who are they? Let's take a look at this. What we do know is that the people who attended this church were probably followers of Christ. Some were from the previous three years when Jesus walked the countryside making disciples he and his apostles, remember, had gone out into the villages, even the 70, and they had shared their faith, and many people came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Uh, we know that Jesus, after he had been crucified and resurrected, 
appeared to a lot of people and was probably teaching them. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that he appears to almost 500 people at once. What did he do in those appearances? It wasn't just like they pulled back a curtain or a tent flap and said, hey, spend 25 cents. Come on in and see the resurrected Christ right here all day. Come on in. No, he stood and he preached the word. He told them, hey, this is what I've been promising you, that I had to die for your sins because you need redemption. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. And these Jewish people responded in faith. And he said, this is what's going to happen after I'm gone. The Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to fill you. He's going to give you the power to continue doing this ministry. And in this ecclesia, this, this church experience that you're going to have, these are the things that I want you to do. I want you to give all glory and honor to the Father. I want you to praise him. I want you to listen to instruction from those who are teachers. Most notably in this day, the apostles. That's what he was doing. He was giving them preparations for how to be together, how to do church. We also know from the previous part of this chapter too that when uh, Peter preached in Solomon's porch, then he shared the gospel that 3,000 people approximately responded in faith. So who are these people? These are people who have been shaped and prepared for this particular moment by the ministry of Christ, by the apostles' ministrations. A lot of people. I don't know in your mind how you see this. I, I get historically, I have often uh, been tempted to think of this like 25 people gathered around, sitting on the ground, on the temple stairs, Peter preaching, and they're doing their thing that is described here in these verses. But that can't be, can it? And we're talking at least 3,000 responded to Peter's preaching. Then you had all those other people who identified with Christ from his years of experience. This is already a huge church. Most of us would be really uh, excited if we knew a church site. So what the, what's going on here? Well, these are the gatherings of the people who had received the truth of God's word. Probably meeting in smaller groups, in homes. Soon, very soon, when the persecution would start in a systematic way, they would be scattered throughout the empire. We'll read the story of the Apostle Paul going out and beginning to do the same thing with the Gentiles. And because they're Gentiles and not Jews, their church experience is probably going to be a little different. It's going to look differently because it's going to be expressed as they do. Even already in chapter 2 of this book of Acts, we see all these people. If you remember the early verses of chapter 2, where are all these people from? You know, you have Parthians and Medes and Elamites, Mesopotamians, Judeans, so forth. So they're going to take these church experiences and teachings back and express it in their way. Now, you want to have the same church experience? You want to be able to read verses 42 through the end of the chapter uh, and read about this church experience and say, boy, it'd be great if Parkview was like this. Maybe we are. But understand this, that these people have been instructed by the Master, by their apostles. There were certain things that they emphasized that sometimes, because of the mists of history, we forget. Right? Why do you come to church? What's your point of being here? 
if you're coming in to just experience church, to judge it and say, well, I hope it's entertaining. I hope it's somewhat funny. I hope that uh, I learned something new today. Oh, you've got the wrong attitude. You see, these people came after hearing Christ himself. Uh, just as an example, think of one sermon that Christ preached that prepared these people for what was to come. And the easiest one to come up with, of course, is the Sermon on the Mount, right? Wow. Jesus doing his thing. You know, the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. And he just went on in that sermon, talking about these people. Who? What people? Well, these people that we're reading about right here in Acts chapter 2. You see, he's saying, don't be surprised when you have to pay a price for your faith. Don't be surprised when you run into opposition and people who don't, just don't like what you're saying, that Jesus is the Son of God. You're going to suffer. And he's saying, in the midst of that suffering, blessed, blessed are those of you who mourn. Oh, how do you mourn? How do you be meek? How do you be hungry? It's by not denying your Lord and Savior, right? It's by standing boldly for him. The very thing that the leader of the church hadn't done. Remember when Peter had that opportunity to stand for Christ? Did he stand? No, he denied him three times that fateful night. Oh, it's so, so hard. But Jesus said, you, you my people, stand for me. No matter what comes your way, I want you to be the right person. Sometimes people think of Jesus as being a universalist. Well, he made an offer for anybody and everybody who wants to come to, uh, excuse me a second, <clears throat> who wants to come to church can come, and they can. If you want to come to faith, Jesus said, you know, whosoever will. For God so loved this world, where you are taught from a young age, you know. If you want to believe, you can. But then he has some uh, little stiffer requirements. Anybody can come, but there are requirements to be part of this church. Uh, you look at Matthew chapter 19. In Matthew 19, Jesus gives us the parable of the rich young ruler. Uh, Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit the kingdom of God? Well, this is simple. You just follow the Ten Commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, da 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 And the rich young ruler says, I've done all these things, Jesus, since I was a boy. I'm a Jew, after all. Oh, then, I, then I'm in automatically. And Jesus says, oh, hold on. I'm so glad for you. And I love that line, because it says there in Matthew 19 that Jesus loved this young man. He makes the same offer to him that he made to the rest of those apostles. Uh, but he says, do this. Go and sell everything you have and take the money and give it to the poor. And it says the young man left. He felt so bad because he wasn't willing to give all. You see, when we look at Acts chapter 2, we're seeing people who probably have done just that. Notice the key words in here, right? Uh, it says, all who believed were together 
they had all things in common. Church has got to be a place where we come and we know each other so well, we know each other's needs, that we meet each other's needs, that we love one another. We have this fellowship. There's actually four things that, he, that Luke is pointing out here that we have to be attentive to. He says, the early church, one, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Excellent. We don't know what we're doing unless we read the word of God. Now, there are no apostles left alive today, but we have God's word. It's right here, right? Secondly, there's fellowship. There's a, a, an understanding that we belong together. It's like being in a family. If you've had a great family experience, well, church should actually be even better. That's hard to understand, isn't it? I mean, I love being with my, my daughters, my grandkids. I was just in Madison where my oldest girl had another child. I love it. My two-year-old running around like a Comanche, just being crazy, yelling, screaming. Well, that's what he does. And, and there's nothing that I would rather be or do than to be with him. That's the way church should be. We serve one another. We, by serving in the church, by helping out in Sunday school, by being in the men's ministry, the women's ministries, all the different ministries we have, by serving the Lord overseas in a mission capacity, by teaching, whatever it is that God's led you to do, we experience fellowship. We're doing so for a family member, for the members of this church. Uh, the breaking of bread shows that they are sharing their meals. Now, sometimes people read that and think, well, this must be communion. They were breaking bread together. But in fact, most scholars believe that this phrase, breaking of bread to refer to communion, wasn't popular until the second century. So I think they're just eating together. There's something intimate about sharing a meal with one another. It's fun. But we get to know each other. And those who had a lot gave to those that had none. Everyone ate the same. Didn't matter if you were rich or poor, we all ate together. Nobody went hungry. And they prayed. The glue that holds the church together is prayer. Brother Wade has done such a fantastic job over the last couple of years bringing in the value of prayer for Parkview. Oh, they prayed. They saw the power of God. You want to see this kind of church experience repeated in your life? If you feel that somehow it's lacking, then make sure that you're paying attention to these things. The teaching of the word. Right? The fellowship. You can't come to church for just 55 minutes, 65 minutes, say hi to three people and think you've had fellowship. Doesn't work that way. Community groups. Get into one. Uh, go to the ABF. You know, if you're older, go to ambassadors. Do something. Get involved with the women's ministry. Get to know each other. Take responsibility for how others are doing here in this church. Break bread together. Who are you eating with today after church? And pray. Other things were being done, that's for sure. The signs and wonders and uh, all the things that they did as far as distribution of their wealth and so forth. But this is really the focus of this section. This is just a description of how the church began. Today, we don't identify as being Jewish or Gentile. We just are. I, I get encouraged because I think of Peter here. 
He's just preached this sermon. All these people have come forward to receive Christ. The church is flowing. And yet we do a reality check when we think of him, don't we? Think of the times that Peter was confronted by his Lord, met with him. You think of him by the boats in Galilee, fishing, and Jesus says, cast your nets on that side of the boat, right? Come, follow me. Peter does. You think of Peter out in the storm, so worried, you know, somebody wake the master, we need help. We see Peter seeing the Lord walking across the water and saying, let me, let me do the same, Jesus. And he does, for a few steps at least, until Jesus rescues him. We see Peter at the transfiguration. Lord, this is a great thing. We're seeing you as you are in all your glory. Let us build a booth for you and these other witnesses. We see Peter with Jesus knelt in front of him saying, I'm going to wash your feet, Peter. And Peter says, no, Lord, not my feet. And then Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, then you have no part of me. And Peter, being Peter, says, well, then give me a whole bath. I can handle it. And then, as I mentioned earlier, we see Peter standing in the courtyard as Jesus is being taken for trial before the Jewish Sanhedrin. And someone accuses him, you're one of them. And Peter says, me? I don't think so. Three times he denies his Lord. And we see Peter on that first Easter Sunday running to the tomb because the ladies have told him the body isn't there. My, one of my favorite scenes towards the end of his life is when he's back at the Sea of Galilee fishing just like the first time Jesus confronted him. And he's, Jesus says, come. I've got breakfast for you. Peter in his excitement jumps off that boat, swims to shore, and Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Three times he asked Peter that. Peter says, you know I do, Lord. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. And for the rest of his life, Peter animates the church. He leads the church. He preaches in the church. He sacrificially gives to the church. He's not perfect. We see that with Paul, don't we, in the book of 1 Corinthians. Peter has to be confronted because he won't eat with the Gentiles. We still mess up. Every church, is you can't get to a point of perfection. It just is not going to happen. Even Peter messes up. Messes up over and over and over, and yet he is revered as the, the, the head of the church in these early years. But you know what I focus on? I like to think about is something that's not even recorded in Scripture yet. Is after Peter is crucified by the Romans, and by his request, upside down. So he is not uh, imitating Jesus to the letter. He gives his life for his Lord. And that moment when he greets Jesus, and Jesus says, Peter, well done. My good and faithful servant, high five. Peter raises his hand. Both of them are pierced with nail holes. See, that's, that's how these people live. They lived in eager expectation of the Lord's return, and until he returned, they gave their all for Christ. What have you given for Jesus this morning? How is your life on course for him?
church a place that you come to be entertained or is church something that you're part of? You want the best church experience? Then you be part of the church. Then you make it that by obedience to the Lord's teachings, by love for his people, by going out into the community. Do you love that phrase? They were in favor with everyone. And serve your community and pray. This is not something to be idealized. This is something to encourage us to be a, a catalyst for our lives to go forward. Every person in this room is part of this church, if you're hearing these words. Church membership, church service, all of those things can happen down the road. I hope they do for you. But you've got to serve Christ. Christ.